0: You know what's really cool to me? Is that there are some people in this room who got to watch that like live in theaters for the very first time. That was awesome. Well, my name is Cody Tooley. Uh, and if you're new here, I'm the student pastor here at, at Northwest. I've been here for now apparently two years. That flew by, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I also didn't know that there was going to be... A an invitation for uh, our our baby shower that's coming up soon. That was Star Wars themed. So that was unintentional. But if you can't tell, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, man, I I love uh, this 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 intro, this moment because, like, uh, you know the. Way that sci-fi was back then versus now is it was it changed it changed the game a little bit, and this intro has become one of the most iconic intros to any movie, any trilogy, any series whatsoever. And uh, you know, even people who haven't like necessarily seen the movies, they rec- they can recognize the opening crawl, right? This 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 really cool yellow letters and stuff, and you know, something that's really interesting uh, for me about. Uh, this while of is that, the, is that the galaxy is so, is so huge. Uh, you know, there were, uh, there are background characters, uh, who are seen in like one shot of the film that now have entire backstories and, and like background characters having background stories. Um, there were two references in, uh, the first, like, 30, 45 minutes, I guess. Uh, one in that opening, in that opening scene, uh, that inspired an entire spinoff movie and TV show and multiple characters that we ha- now have. And there's even one line in, uh, just a random offline that they had mentioned to make it sound spacey that inspired an entire other trilogy, movies, TV shows, era. It's just this crazy, uh, crazy thing. You know, at background characters have full background stories. Small comments inspired entire movies. And the opening crawl, like, it, it just it opened up one of my favorite movies. But what's crazy is that in Star Wars, every detail has a purpose behind it. Every detail has this, this moment, this weight that's to it that you, sometimes you don't get to hear about until later. And so, you know, one of the things that I started that I loved was as I'm studying Scripture— as I'm studying the Word, and I get, I, I'm looking through the Gospels, and, and you're, we're going to be in the book of Mark, Mark chapter one. So if you want to put a bookmark there and a bookmark in Malachi chapter three, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, if you get to Matthew, just go one page before, and, and you'll find it. Um, is that in every word of Scripture? Every, every small section that might seem insignificant or short are full of tensions that when we open them up, we get to see the richness of the Lord, the richness of God uh, as He has worked, not just in that small story, but throughout all of history, all of creation, all of time that He's been working towards this moment that we uh, get to experience today. And so as we study this passage, it's important to remember that what. As believers, part of growing in our walk with Christ and our understanding of the word is not just reading the passage just in that moment, but is recognizing that all of scripture, every bit of it is feeding into one another and is breathing the very words and breath of God that he has given to us. And so if you guys would stand with me, we're going to be, we're going to read Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 and, you know, the reason we stand is because we want to take a, a posture of, uh, of, of praise and honor for what the Lord has done, because this is the only story that's worth standing for. So let's read this. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says this. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Believe the good news. All right, thank you guys. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Father, would you open up our hearts and our minds to you today? Lord, just these two verses that that seem so small and so just random or just in there, so brief, God, that they uh, are proclaiming your glory. God, they're proclaiming the good news that we get to now experience and benefit from. God, that we get to love you because of this. or we love you so much. And Father, that we ask that you would... Uh, would move in our lives. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. Um, In the the book of Mark, so far, what we've experienced is we have this... The intro to the gospel and you have the, the, John the Baptist who is this guy, uh, who is in the wilderness and he ate honey and, and bugs and had a leather belt and furry, you know, coat and stuff and he's kind of, he kind of seems strange, but he was in the wilderness and he was calling people to come and, uh, to be baptized. Now, again, we've mentioned this a few times that baptism, uh, for was was the way that people who were not Jewish could be baptized into the faith of of the Jews um, and and worship Yahweh the one the the one true God right? But John was not just baptizing Gentiles; he was actually baptizing even Jews too. He's he's calling out to these these people who were living uh, in the faith. But they had turned away and and they needed to repent. So even these Jewish folks were submitting themselves to a baptism that was only reserved for those who were outside of the faith. But because they recognized the sin that was in their lives, he was, they, were, they were being baptized. And so then, here comes Jesus. And John was proclaiming that he was going to be the one guy who he's not even, he's not even worthy of untying his shoe, let alone baptizing. him. But Jesus comes and he baptizes them. And now, he, Jesus, last week, he went to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, but was without without flaws. And then we get this brief little passage, as important as John was. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. At this point in the story, Jesus had not had, had even had his disciples, let alone told us that he was going to die on the cross. And oftentimes, uh, like in, in the question, it begs the question, then what is the good news? What is this good news that Jesus has proclaimed? What is Jesus saying? before he's even died, before he's risen again, before all this different stuff like happens, what is this good news? And I was asking myself that question and I was thinking through it and trying to process that. And, uh, you know, this, there's, there's background story. There's background that's happening. And in and, and, and and chapter one, verse three says, uh, or verse two, it says, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you that he will prepare, uh, prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, making his path straight. It's referencing back to, uh, to Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3. Here's the thing. In order for us to, if, if, if our uh, faith is simply, I went down one time at Falls Creek, or I went down front one time at church, or I, I, I go to church, or I do these good things, and, and, and because Jesus died, then I'm fine. If that is what we are putting our hope in, that we are missing out on something far greater, because here's the, the reality is this, that without bad news, there would not be any good news, Right? Without bad news, there wouldn't be any good news. When we realize something about ourselves, the bad news, it helps us understand the joy of what Jesus was preaching. And so, uh, if our, our first point that I, I want us to, that we're going we're to explore is is this is that the land was opposed to the king. The land is opposed to the king. Uh, turn with me to Malachi chapter three. Okay. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi was taking place in, uh, in, in, in about 100 years after the people returned from Babylon. Uh, people, you know, the story of Israel, they lived in this land that was surrounded by these nations that were far from God, that were, uh, that were completely just away, they're, they're gone. Um, and the Jewish people were supposed to be the representatives for who uh, God was. But because of their unfaithfulness, because of their constant disobedience, and and, in Judges, they talk about this phrase that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. The Lord gave them up to their sinfulness, and they were actually exiled to Babylon. So now this is after they have returned. The prophets had told them they were going to return. They're now back in the land. They've rebuilt the temple. It seems like God himself is, is coming back to his people. But the problem is that they are still in the same boat that they were. Just before, they, their their offerings were not. Were, were they were offering just like these blind or you know lame animals that they were that, that were unworthy of even being. If you, he's like he references in Malachi in, in one. Like if you were to give this to a governor, like he, there'd be no favor. He said that in this land there was still disobedience and there was still sin that they were constantly living in. There was injustice that was happening. There was this, all this stuff that was going on. And so God sent Malachi to proclaim this news to them. And in Malachi, we'll start in chapter 2, verse 17. I'm going to read an entire chapter. It says this. And it's verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? And when you say, everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he's delighted with them, or else, where is the God of justice? That was the question that they're asking. And throughout this chapter, we see God saying something, the people responding, and then God responding again to them. So just be watching for that as we're reading. Chapter three. See, says God, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, then the Lord's. The Lord you seek will suddenly come into his temple. This is that, that God of justice that the people were crying out for. They said, God, there's no justice in this land. And he says, Guess what? He's coming. I'm going to send a messenger, and the Lord you seek will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant uh, you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like the launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Uh, again, like the, these are the folks that are like the, the priests, the, the, like the, the, the tribe that was supposed to be like the holy ones, right? And he, refi- he will refine them like gold and silver. They will present the offerings to the Lord in righteousness. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment. I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppose or who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, against those who deny justice uh, to the resident alien." They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. He goes on. Since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, says God. How can we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not return the produce of your land. Your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delight, you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Your words against me are harsh, says God, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have we spoken against you? You have said that, you have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements? by walking mournfully before the Lord. So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do they commit wickedness and prosper, but they even test God and they escape. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as this man has compassion on his sons who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Listen, we can't have good news without bad news. And in this this land, the, the people have gone from being unfaithful, being punished by God's judgment. God has brought them because of his grace back into the land. They've rebuilt the temple, yet in their own hearts, they continue to go down the exact same path that led them right there before. Not simply as just people who have made mistakes, but as people who are actively against God. They're crying out against him. God, you're... They speak harshly towards him. They have allowed this injustice. If you remember the Ten Commandments, right? All, like most of them are how to connect, like how to reconcile relationships, how to take care of those who are the orphans and the widows, to be representatives of those who are hurting and mourning or are lost in the land. God's land was supposed to be a refuge for them. Now they're allowing injustice and sin to run rampant through their lives. They do not fear the Lord. They disobey the Lord. They're withholding their tithes and their contributions. They speak harshly against him, being mournful towards what God has given them. They're sitting there going, oh me, oh my, man, it's hard to follow God. The actions of the people show that their hearts are not towards God. But this heart continues even in the book of of Mark. You see, there are people who, uh, like sin was continuing to, la- to land. The, pe- the people of Israel were continuing to cry out to God and are, were, were talking harshly towards him because of all what the Roman Empire was doing. And they had these leaders within this, the Jewish leadership that were saying like, hey, like they're they adding all these rules and burdens to people. They were self-righteous. God even called, or Jesus himself called them whitewashed tombs that they, you know, looked great on the outside, but they were still dead on the inside. And that was the leadership, that was the people who were walking, or pointing them, supposed to be pointing them to the Lord. And, and, the, and even in this book, I mean, in, in Luke 3, John is speaking out against these people. He's speaking as a prophet against the sins, calling them to obedience. He even called out uh, Herod for an unlawful marriage. And we find ourselves in, in Mark chapter 1. Verse 14, and after John was arrested, see, they didn't like him calling out their sin. And they arrested him and beheaded him. Now here's the thing. Before we say, like, hey, I'm I'm better than that, let's think back to just this last month. How many times, how many times, uh, Do, do we find our hearts far from God? How many times have we coveted what our neighbors have? How many times have we just wondered how, man, like these wicked people in, in our leadership, like they, that they, they prosper. We've had those conversations, right? How often do we, do we hold back what we know we ought to be giving? maybe maybe it 's fi- like finances maybe it 's time, maybe it 's just energy or thought, mental capacity maybe we 've got, we've got a lot of things that we withheld from God and we 've allowed sin in our lives that we know it doesn 't belong there, but we 've let it run rampant and through our lives, but we hide it because we don 't want anybody else to see it. The land that we live in, even in our own hearts, oftentimes is against God, against him. Man, that's some bad news. Because here's the other thing. They were calling for justice against the wicked. The reality was, was that they were the ones that God was about to bring justice against man So what's happening then? What is this good news? Jesus begins to proclaim this and the second point is this is that Jesus establishes his kingdom. Jesus is the king establishes his kingdom. Malachi three sixteen and 17 says, at the time those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him and those who feared the Lord, they had high regards for his name. And in the very first chapter, the first few verses, we see people who are coming in, in, in humility and are submitting themselves to this, this baptism so that they could be repenting in their own hearts of their sin and they could be washed free. Even though they were doing all the things, they really Realize their need for repentance before the Lord. And not only that, we see the fact that there's this messenger, John the Baptist, who is coming and proclaiming this good news. Then Jesus came, and as soon as Jesus came, he went. He was baptized, went into the land, or went into the wilderness, was tempted, just like Israel had been tempted all through these years, all throughout Scripture. Even in Malachi, the sins that they were dealing with, he. Yet he was un, unfazed by that. He was, not, he was successful where every single one of us has failed. And when the prophet came, the messenger came, he was arrested at the time that Jesus was about to start his ministry. The reality of this is that the kingdom of God had finally come. Listen. Listen. God will come after the messenger and establish his kingdom. Notice the phrasing that's happening in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. There's like in, 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 the, in the language, there's the, the grammar is always kind of, is, is different than, that, than ours. But the meaning, the phrase behind is that the, God, the kingdom of God is here and is also coming. The understanding was he was still here at that moment. Like in the first future, we see that both Jews and Gentiles are coming to repentance from the message of a voice crying out in the wilderness. Jesus had come to be baptized. He is identifying with humanity. Then in that moment, God Himself identifies, opens up the heaven, identifies that Jesus is His Son. Next, we see Jesus being led into temptation, yet without sin. Finally, we see that when it comes time for Jesus to bring, to begin His ministry, John's removed from the scene. This is the day of the Lord that He was talking about. The time when God says, I will come near you. I will bring this justice. I'm coming to my people. This is that day. He was not only identifying with God, but the fact that where all other people failed, he did not. The kingdom of God had finally come. The day of the Lord had come. Jesus was God, his people could then come to him in faith and obedience and into his established kingdom. They could submit themselves to the king this day of remembrance that had come where God says, I'm remembering my people who, have, who, have, uh, who remember me, have for my name, who fear my name, fear the Lord. It's time. And his people, anybody who could, would respond to this God, anybody who would respond to him and submit to him could experience Salvation. But the king, what was weird was that the kingdom of God was not one of war or victory or blood that was shed on the battlefield, but rather is a peaceful rule over the hearts of those who would accept him. When we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the authority, the rule, and the dominion of God. That's that's what we mean by the kingdom of God. The the authority, the rule, and the dominion of God. Who was it that experienced that that were saved in, in this before Jesus died? It was, it was the same people who came to John for repentance for their sins. It, who was it that actually received healing from Christ? It was the Gentiles that said, Jesus, I need you. You surely can do this. Who was it that first announced that Jesus was the son of God besides John the Baptist? It was a Roman soldier that as he was being nailed to a cross, he finally said, this was the Messiah. This is the son of God. Because Jesus was God, those who placed themselves under his authority were saved. And it was those people who would later receive a new heart that Jesus, after Jesus died, rose again and received and, and receive the very spirit of the living God. Guys, this is good news. Because despite the fact that our, the land is against God, the fact that all creation was, was against him, that, that Jesus himself managed to come down and put all of creation under his authority, not just because they wanted to, but because he was king over it all already. In this moment when Jesus came, Jesus on the earth brought in the kingdom of God. The dominion, the rule, and the authority of God was now in place. And those who would submit themselves to Him would finally have a chance to be saved and God would remember them. The, th- the third and final point is this. Is that the King gives us a chance. The King gives us a chance in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Listen, if you're like me, like sin still hits you every once in a while, right? You still fall short. Amen? How many of you guys have failed in the last week? Okay, that should be everybody, but uh, (laughs) we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Listen. The works that was happening in Malachi, they the works were, were a big part of it. Them keeping the law. But the law was to show them that they would fail over and over and over again, their need for salvation. But listen, the kingdom of God is no longer one of works, sacrifices, or burnt offerings. It is a kingdom of people who have accepted the message of Jesus as the Messiah. Malachi tells the people that they can return, they can repent of their of their words, their works, they can bring their tithes back to the temple. He would rebuke the devourer for us, the nations would consider us fortunate. The Lord has not changed. Because of our sinful hearts, we could po- not possibly earn the favor of our God on our own. Again, remember just the last month. What if your salvation was based on your heart being pure? It'd be rough. How do we receive this salvation? Sorry, Jesus was Jesus was the only one who was without sin. He was the better Israel. The good news is that despite our sinful actions and failures, there is forgiveness for those whose hearts belong to God. And how do we receive receive this salvation? By repenting and believing. Repentance means to turn away. This means that we, we recognize our sin, we recognize the direction that's taking us, and not just saying, oh, I'm sorry about that, but that we turn away. We completely pivot. Where we were living in un- unrighteousness and, and without holiness in our own lives, we then turn our ways. Our sins that we let, leave in our lives, we turn away from these things. means that we have to recognize our sin, ask the Lord for forgiveness, and then turn away from our formal course because our ways are apart from God and are wicked, just like we see in in Malachi. To believe in the good news is to believe that the kingdom of God has arrived. God's rule, authority, and dominion have arrived on earth as is continued by the work of his spirit and the lives of his believers. Israel is supposed to be the ideal nation for God and his glory on earth. They were supposed to proclaim his good news. But because their hearts were far from him, they were unable to fulfill their calling. And even at their best, even at the times where they were the most obedient, they continued to fail. How many of us can relate to that? To believe is the the good news, is to believe that Christ was the fulfillment of that law and that salvation, the new heart, our dead Flesh that is living in sin, that has already condemned us now, apart from Christ, has been brought back to life by Christ alone. And that only by surrendering our lives to him can we conform to his likeness. Guys, listen, you can't be holy without Christ. You cannot be holy without Christ. If we hear, if you talk about your testimony, think about the time like, if, if I were to ask you the question, why are you a Christian? Why are you saved? If Christ is not in that story, man, then we're missing something. Right? This idea of repenting and believing is not just a one-time thing that you go down front at Falls Creek or at church or whatever. The life of a believer is marked by a lifestyle of holiness that only comes from Christ. And when our flesh fails, when we just mess up everything that God has done, we fall to our knees in repentance, ask the Lord for forgiveness, and then turn back, not by our power and just by trying harder, but only because of the grace that God has given us a new heart and will give us the strength to stand. Amen? This is the mark of a believer, is a lifestyle of repentance and holiness and submission to our God. Listen, we're about to um, do a time of invitation. Every week we take time. To, we do this this, this this every week, right? We take time to open up the altar. You know, we, we ask you to stand in, in, in reading, uh, stand in worship. We close our eyes and we pray. Why do we do these things? The reason for that is because when our, where, where our heart is comes our actions, right? And so, when we do these things, we are putting ourselves in a posture of reverence and submission to God. We move whenever he moves in our lives. We respond. Listen, there's nothing special about this. Like, you know, the rest of the week is just a stage. <laughs> but during this time of invitation, we have this, this place where we can come before God in response every single week and pray and ask the Lord to, to, to do a work in our lives. It's the same reason that we raise our hands. It's not because it makes you more spiritual, but it's because it's, it's a it's a posture of reverence and, and respect for the Lord, right? When we pray, it's not, or we don't pray, it's not we don't close our eyes, right? I thought as a kid, when I would close my eyes, if I opened them, then my prayers wouldn't count, right? You know, I have that little bit of fear. Why do we close our eyes? It's because we are becoming, we are in this moment where it's just us and the Lord. And we are responding to who he is. So if there's something that's moving in us, we ought to move, right? Amen? Listen, all of us in this room have sin that still lives in our home. For being realistic, right? We recognize the depth of, our, of that sin and the, the severe cost of that. Only then can we see the gospel as good news. Only then when you understand the fact that when God's bringing justice apart from Christ, that justice is coming back on us because we are the ones that are wicked. We allow sin to move in our lives. We allow these, these injustices to happen. It is on us. We have sinned. Here's the thing. First John tells us that when we pray, ask the Lord for forgiveness, that he is faithful and just to forgive. church, Today, will you repent? All of us could think of a specific moment probably in the past week where we've we've messed up. And listen, we don't have to be ruled by that. We don't have to be guilty or shameful of that because we have a God who says, hey, I will forgive you if you submit your life to me. Follow after me and I will save you from that. will we repent today, right now? Before you and God alone, will you repent? Either in your chair or even here at the altar. Because there's some times even in my life I need to get down on my knees and pray, pray before God and ask for forgiveness. And for those who maybe who, who are in this room who haven't, who haven't followed Jesus before, The message of Christ might only have seemed like one of a vengeful God that just has preferences on how you are to follow rules and if you don't do what he says, then he's just gonna kill you. That's kind of what our, that's, that's, that's some, oftentimes how a message can be interpreted without the bad news of our lives. But the word is clear and I believe that our consciences are clear as well. That no matter how good of a person we are, we have failed and fallen short often, Right? I believe even if you haven't followed Christ, like you're caught, if you're being realistic with yourself, you, you realize that about yourself. No matter what we do, we cannot hide the fact that our, that our hearts are deeply flawed without Christ. But the good news is that those sinners that we deep down know deserve the justice that is coming to us, has a chance, we have a, rech, a chance to return to our God. And so for you, if you're a non-believer in this room, man, a response for you, for what God's doing in your heart right now, if you're sitting here, is to come and talk to one of the pastors or somebody about what it means to follow Jesus. Because we're all without hope, without Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna pray and ask the worship band to come up. I'm gonna ask you guys to stand with me as we pray. This time of, but the altar is gonna be open. And we're not gonna mic in your prayers over the loudspeaker so everybody can hear. But some some of us, either in our chair or right here on the altar, needs, needs to respond to the Lord. I think all of us really do. Even me, especially me, actually. Will you respond today? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, without your... Without your goodness, without you coming into this world, we would be lost. God, I ask that you would move our hearts in this church, that we would see you. God, that we would re- ask for forgiveness and we would not only that, but repent, whatever that might be, whatever action set that might be. But God, that we would get to live in that freedom that you have provided for us by your death by your coming, by your, your your burial, by your resurrection. God, you being here and establishing your kingdom, your rule and dominion is already here. God, thank you for your grace. Lord, would you move our church to be a, not a church that is arrogant or... Without, without repentance, God, but would you help us to be a church that repents and realizes the grace that we've received from our God? And Lord, would you help us to respond and, and move when you ask us to move? Lord, we love you and we ask these things in your name.